There's so much to talk about in this game. Boston College lost to Rutgers on Saturday. We're going to go into our second day with Mitch Wolf, going into the nitty-gritty of what we saw, what he saw, and breaking down some of the ins and outs of uh, another disappointing loss for the Boston College Eagles. All that and more on today's Locked On Boston College. You are Locked On Boston College, your daily podcast on the Boston College Eagles, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Right. This is Locked On Boston. Your host, AJ Black. With me today is Mitch Wolf. We're discussing Saturday's loss to Rutgers. This is day two. We we went into a lot of the, the big game moments from on yesterday's show and some of the big uh picture things, but we're gonna there's still so much more meat on this bone. Mitch, how's it going? Doing better today. I'm gonna try to speak a little slower than yesterday. Yesterday I was trying to get as much information as I could off my chest uh for the people. So today I'll try to speak a little more slowly to Give some more nuanced analysis. And um, I, 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 I know a few people on on Twitter were saying that we sounded down and dejected. I, I, I didn't get that sense yesterday. Did you? Um, I, I was just trying to speak as quickly as possible just to get, you know, to cover as much as I could. Um, I mean, I was definitely frustrated and, you know, sad about the result. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe, you know, we'll see. All right. So. Uh, th- you know, we talked, if you have not heard yesterday's episode, go back and listen to that. But today we're going to get into Phil Dracovic. Um, And a lot has been said uh, watching him in the stadium. You know, you know my, I sit next to my father-in-law. He's like, yeah, he, he should have been throwing more interceptions than he did. Uh, he didn't, he looked inconsistent. He, he, you know, didn't look like himself. Mitch, what, you know, you went back and watched it again today. And you could talk a little bit about that feature in a little bit. But what did you see about Phil uh, that concerned you, made you feel okay about the future of him Eagles. I thought Jerkovic was pretty good. Honestly. Um, I thought that the new offense was actually really good. I really enjoyed it. There was a ton of motion, a lot of new concepts that BC really hasn't used. Like I, they spent, I think over 90% of their snaps in shotgun or pistol, which is a, could not be further from the Frank Signetti offense. I liked there was so much pre-snap motion, you know, trading guys from one side of the formation, to the other, they had a lot of personnel diversity, um, in terms of, you know, they had one play. I mean, they didn't have a ton of different tight ends, but they one drive they would have like six offensive linemen and George Takis. And in a few plays, they would have Jeremiah Franklin and Taji Johnson as the quote tight ends. So I thought that was really cool. I thought some of the play designs were good. Um, but with reference specifically to Dracovic, I think that he, I think that obviously he made mistakes. And that's the thing about him is he is kind of a reckless, aggressive quarterback at times. Um, you know, I think that, he got a little greedy with that first interception, you know, trying to hit Zay on that cross field comeback. And I think maybe he just didn't see the sinking defender underneath. So that's why he kind of flattened the throw and he might've just not seen him, which that happens. It makes sense. I'm not too worried about that. The second interception was definitely bad. Like he stared down the receiver kind of had a lazy delivery and, and then Zay fell down. Obviously that that's part of it, but you know, I think that even if Zay hadn't fallen down, he would have gotten hit pretty hard or the defender would have broken up the pass regardless. Yep. Um, but like some, like his throw, it was, it was one of the earlier drives, but his throw over the middle to Takis where he just got over linebackers fingertips. That was incredible. The touchdowns all, I mean, both, all the touchdown throws were great. Uh, the, the second one to Zay was really great. Cause I mean, he stood in the pocket, read the progression through and BC ran that play a few different times 
but with guys kind of moved around different spots, but they liked that concept a lot. And they threw to, I think they threw to each route. So that was, you know, it's good to see that kind of diversity, but there was one thing that Herzlick brought up. And I think this might be why we see Dracovic struggle in the quick game so much. There was a play later in the game. It was a third down and Dracovic uh, tried to throw to Jaden Williams, who's running a drag route underneath, but he threw behind him and high. So he couldn't really reach back and grab it. And, they turned the ball and they had to punt the ball away, I think. And Herzlick made a great point about um, how Dracovic just didn't move his feet. And he's, and he even said like, it's probably just cause he's, you know, if this is late in the game, he's probably tired. He's tired of getting hit. He just wants to get the ball out as quickly as possible. So he doesn't reset his feet towards the receiver. And that causes the ball to be behind and high. And there were a few times in this game where Dracovic threw to guys like running really short routes, like kind of right in front of him. And he would like fire the pass, you know, really high. He missed Garwo high once. One time he threw it to Takis and Takis caught it, but it was still a super high throw and just had a lot of velocity when it didn't need to. So I think that the footwork is something that I want to, you know, maybe go back some, watch some of his older games and see if that was also a problem. Um, but I think just kind of getting more consistent with that footwork is something that he could improve on moving forward. Yeah. I mean, so go back, you brought up and this is kind of going on a little bit of a tangent, but like you mentioned the offense and you liked the way it looked. I see a lot of folks out there bashing this offense saying, you know, John McNulty is not the right choice, blah, blah, blah. Is that just, and I'm not bashing the people who say this kind of stuff, but is that kind of just, you know, it, it's more understanding the nuance of what they're doing. And, you know, you know, from the, from the sidelines, it's not as easy to see what they're doing. That's different than what Signetti did. Um, I think that could be part of it. I think so. Like the, the one thing I saw, we saw a lot of people say was, Oh, why didn't they throw more screens? And you know, like I said yesterday, you know, there's probably only X amount of screens in the playbook. Um, and it's not like it's it's not like if you, you know, just throw screens, the pass rush is going to turn off like they're going to start looking for the screens more, which, again, it will help. But it's, you know, it's not a cure all for the offense. And I think I definitely agree they could have used it more, but it's not something you can just, you know, spam, keep running the same kind of plays and it'll just magically solve everything and you know i saw some people say like oh like why didn't they do more end arounds like well you know again we saw like you know clemson tried that once or twice where they tried to do another sweep and they got blown up if you keep spamming the same type of plays the defense is going to adjust and they'll stop it and i mean even on one of the later drives they went with a fly sweep to zay next play they ran a little bubble screen to him so they were doing that kind of stuff i think people just kind of got lost in the interceptions and just the result of the game and again this is a i think it's at this point it is hat does have to be a process of a results thing and i think what the big takeaway from the offense was is you saw an offense coordinator that was willing to do a lot more to make this offense easier for the for the skill players at least in that you get it wasn't you know making phil go under center and run these hard play action passes where you're kind of just expecting the offensive line to hold up and your guys just get open and it's that or nothing. I think these new plays, and again, sometimes it was to the detriment of the pass protection scheme because you had a lot more guys out in the pattern, but you saw like there were, there was one play where Jerkovic dropped back and nobody's open downfield, but he hit the back coming out of the backfield. They didn't gain many yards, but there's just a lot more options out there. And I think that's something that Signetti's offense struggled with is that essentially if the number one read wasn't there, they weren't really able to get to the next read. So 
I think that this offense, I, I really did. I think it is going to be good moving forward. I think just, you know, there were like, I, I had this big tweet thread today about how there was a miscommunication between Zay and Phil. And that's the thing is like, it's week one, there's going to be some mess ups. And that's typically why teams schedule FCS teams for week one. So you can kind of work those kinks out before your schedule really begins. Unfortunately, BC scheduled a power five team that came, came to play that day and they played quite well. All right. In a moment, we're going to continue on the offensive side of the ball and look at a new player that had a big game. We're going to talk about uh, our favorite position here on Locked On Boston College. But before we do that, I want to tell you about the easiest and most fun way to spice up your season. It's underdog fantasy and their pick them game for college football. Just look for your favorite Eagles. Pick whatever you think they'll end up with higher or lower than that number in that week's game. And you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile apps. Pick between two and five players for your pick clip, get all your picks right, and you'll take home some card cold hard cash. It's simple to get started. Just head to underdogfantasy.com or download the app. Sign up with promo code locked on, and underdog will double your first deposit up to one hundred dollars. Again, that's a hundred dollars free. You're not gonna get that from any other books. Again, go to underdog fantasy with promo code. Locked on. This is AJ Black here with Locked on Boston College. If you're listening live right now, I want to again remind you that on Eagle Insider, we have a special deal for 75% off uh, an annual pass. I believe this ends at midnight tonight. So if you're listening on the podcast tomorrow, I believe it might be too late. But I know some folks listen to this in the in the, in the evening. You're going to get t- the whole year for 25 bucks. Can't beat that. So head over to Eagle Insider. Make sure you sign up right now. We'll give you premium access to recruiting news. I'm over here getting pinged on all sorts of new recruiting things that you're going to want to know about. We give, you know, detailed analysis on games, all sorts of good stuff that you're not going to get anywhere else. All right. So Mitch, we're talking tight. And this is um, Chris, our listener. This is his favorite topic uh, because he has a uh, a great sense of humor. And George Takis, I, I thought I was very impressed with his play. Um, even more so than Trey Berry. And Trey Berry came out and had that big catch against Colgate and, you know, leapt over uh, a defender. But I thought consistently Takis looked like a guy that's going to be a good target for Phil moving forward. I think it was his first catch where Herzlick remarked that uh, he was wearing number 80, which was last worn by Hunter Long. And they said, he said that the coaching staff, when talking to the media, said they really love Takis because they think he's basically like Hunter long, but faster and more athletic. And mm. I think, yeah, I think you could see that just the way he was being used. And I think you saw him like line up out wide as a wide receiver. A decent, let me see. I have his, st- his snaps up. Actually, he took seven snaps as the farthest wide out receiver. Um, seven out of his 43 snaps were, or 40 snaps where he was a receiver. Um, 15 snaps in the slot, 19 in line. So using him all over the field, which is really cool to see. Um, but you saw him like getting downfield on vertical routes. And like I said, he had that great catch over the middle where Phil placed the ball perfectly. He had, he was targeted 11 times, seven catches, 84 yards. Um, he did have the one drop on the final drive, which was bad. Um, I think one of the other ones was where Phil threw to him deep down the sideline. And I think they could have called pass interference, but they didn't. It was kind of a contested catch throw. Um, I can't remember the other two targets that he didn't catch, but really good stuff, you know, making contested catches over the middle. Um, didn't get a ton of rafter catch opportunities, but was useful as a blocker in space. They used him as kind of the lead blocker in one of those Zay screens and another one on a fly sweep. So, you know, I, the funny thing about that, um, that throw over the middle to Phil is 
they were they after the play they showed him getting up and kind of going back to the huddle and phil kind of ran up to him and Takis gave him a, a really hard headbutt like you know football players do that celebrate but it, mm-hmm. it kind of knocked phil back and i was like oh, buddy you can't be doing that to the quarterback on the second drive <laughs> um but i mean yeah i was I, I i was very pleasantly surprised by how Takis played because i thought he i thought he was going to be good but i I thought he played extremely well. And I think that the only downside is I think that because of how much the offensive line struggled, I think they're going to have to keep him in to pass block a little bit more in the future. Like he only had one snap in this game where he was pass blocking out of his 43 total snaps. So I think you're going to see that number increase a lot this week and in the coming weeks. And maybe it'll go back down as the offensive line gets more comfortable together, but yeah, really impressed by his play. Well, that was an interesting thing that came up in uh, Sunday's, uh, media availability with Halfley was he talked about Spencer Witter's injury and uh, he said that Witter had been out. And I know a lot of fans are like, who cares? It's Spencer Witter. He's a tight end too. But if you're talking about pass blocking, I feel like Witter might be a good substitution uh, for that. And, and they, you know, Halfley also brought up that, that uh, I was like going with the one, two D offense. So going with one half back two tight ends. Yeah. Half. Yeah. I remember that quote halfly. He said him and McNulty love going with 12 and 13 personnel. Um, and they, I, I think that, and again, they kind of got, and this is why I liked the offense because they got creative with ways to get into that personnel. So one play they had Takis in line and they also had uh, Jeremiah Franklin and Taji Johnson aligned as tight ends. So, you know, mm-hmm. I like that creativity. You saw Hans Lillis come in as a wide tight end, do some blocking. A lot of times they brought on uh, Dwayne Alec, put him at guard, and then moved Jack Conley to a – he was technically a tight end. So, you know, again, I like that creative part of the offense. But, yeah, I mean, if Witter can get back healthy, he can be an asset in pass protection. They can get back to the 12 personnel and, you know, keeping that extra blocker. And because, I mean, Frank, uh, frankly, you know – if you're if you've got a 12 personnel and you keep Witter in, you know your other receivers are Zay, Jalen Gill, probably, and George Takis. And I think that those three receivers are good enough where you don't need to be like, all right, we need to get another receiver out in the pattern. You know, those guys, and again, this kind of was my it was my previous issue with Signetti's offense, but that was with a different offensive line. But I think at least for the meantime, you know, those three receivers, you can find enough ways to get those guys open as the primary uh, receivers in a pattern. Now, Mitch, I'm going to put you on the spot here because you had some great tweets earlier. You went back and looked at the game and talked about the offensive line, and you looked at some of the issues that popped up. What were some of the things that you saw? I know we talked about this yesterday, but now that you had a second chance to look at it, some of the things that popped up to you. So this is the big thing, and I think this is kind of a silver lining, or at least that's what I'm interpreting as. Maybe I'm looking for something. Maybe there's something there, and I'm just hoping that it's there, and it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. But the issue that I saw was the the bulk of the issues came from the interior offensive line, the two guards in the center, not being able to properly pass rushers off between each other, especially later in the drop back. There was one specific stunt, which is when one where the defensive line is lined up and one lineman kind of crashes diagonally towards uh, uh, crash diagonally one way. And then the defensive lineman next to him kind of wraps around behind him and then goes where the other defensive lineman was. It's a way to confuse the offensive lineman's protection. And Rutgers ran the same one at least twice, I think maybe three times. And then they use similar ones out of slightly different formational looks. But those blitzes and stunts really confused the three guys on the interior because they weren't sure really how to pass them off between each other. And that's this, this thing might've been why, you know, it it kind of been an underrated aspect of the BC offensive line in the last two years is they had so much familiarity with each other that they knew how to pass those stunt and blitz those stunts and blitzes off well between each other. 
this group really struggled with that. And that is something that comes with experience and chemistry. So ideally that should get better as the year goes on. But even aside from that, you, there were still a ton of mistakes. Like I, I tweeted out the one clip where it was on third down. Um, and for some reason, the center drew Kendall released off the line like he was going to block for a screen and then he was out in the middle essentially of nowhere and looking around like oh i messed up um and like i said again this is why teams schedule fcs teams week one so they can get these jitters out and it's not as big of a problem unfortunately bc scheduled rutgers and you know just the way the team building came together that just really came to back to bite them all right in our final segment we're going to get into the underclassmen, the freshmen and redshirt freshmen that really stood out because there were some new names, I think, that are worth bringing up um, in terms of uh, building on to next year. Before we do that, though, I want to uh, talk a quick thing here about our YouTube channel. I, I've set up a goal for our, our network here that I want to get 600 subscribers on our YouTube page. We are at we gained about 15 last night. We keep doing this. I want 600. I want some 600 subscribers for our show by the start of the basketball season. So if you are listening to this on YouTube, hit that subscribe button now. Just hit it. it takes two seconds. Makes a big difference. If you are on a podcast platform, do the same thing. Go to YouTube.com. Look up Locked On Boston College and hit subscribe. Go to yesterday's episode. You can see um, it, the uh, comment section is quite interesting. And uh, between Rutgers fans and BC fans just going at it. Uh, but we've had some great conversations on there. And, you know, we're doing some fun stuff here on the YouTube channel, including some bonus bonus stuff that should be coming out, especially around recruiting season that you're going to want to not miss. All right. We are back. This is Locked On Boston College, your team every day here on the Locked On Network. And I'm joined by Mitch Wolf, staff writer at Eagle Insider. Mitch. There were so many new names uh, for some BC fans that maybe aren't familiar with some of the underclassmen that popped up uh, during Saturday's game against Rutgers. Uh, who are some of the ones that really kind of caught your eye watching that game? So I'm going to try to stick to the freshmen um, as much as I can. And sure. I'll include redshirt freshmen there. Um, and I'm going to start on the defense since we spent most of the show talking about the offense. We'll come back to them. But uh, the first guy I want to highlight is Amari Jackson, who's a fr true freshman corner who only played seven snaps yesterday, but he had a really, really big play where um, it was, I think in, it was definitely in the second half and I can't remember which quarter it was in, but Rutgers was down this. Oh, this was, um, this was the drive where Rutgers got their field. It was the third quarter. Cause I remember where I was sitting when it happened. Yes. Yes. So they threw a fade ball to their receiver. I believe it was Sean Ryan. Who's I think he's listed at six, four, 200. And they had Amari Jackson across from who was a true freshman playing in his first collegiate action. And I think the Rutgers coaching staff knew we, the freshman was in because they went after him immediately. And so they throw to this tall receiver in the back of the end zone. And Jackson, he, I'll say this, he didn't get, he didn't turn around. He didn't try to play the ball, but I, but he really did a nice job of staying in phase, staying in the hip pocket of the receiver and just not allowing any kind of separation to the point where, Ryan caught the ball on a bobble, but by the time he had secured it, he was out of bounds. And what really impressed me is that a true freshman corner getting put in a situation like that, a lot of times they'll panic and just shove the receiver out of bounds and, you know, get flagged for DPI, which might've been what Rutgers was going for. But I was super impressed that he didn't panic. Yeah. And he's, you know, trusted his instincts, trusted his technique and uh, forced a fourth down on a field goal. So I really love that play from him. Uh, other guys in the defense, uh, Jalen Cheek, another cornerback, came in. He played 15 snaps. And 
Uh, I mean, I'll be honest. I don't remember. He didn't get targeted once. So that means to me, at least he played well in coverage. So good for him. You know, it's kind of, this is where defensive backs are kind of like refs. The less you hear of them, the better your team is doing. Right. Uh, not too many other freshmen played. Jalen Blackwell, guy you mentioned, uh, made some nice plays. I think he's still kind of figuring out what he's going to do in this defense. And I think they're still figuring out how to use him. Um, I th- the one he is, he had the issue that a lot of the linebackers had yesterday is that they were not as aggressive as I would have liked coming downhill against the run. And that's why I think that was a par- portion of why Rutgers was so successful on the ground. Um, but he did have that big chase down sack of Gavin Wimsat on uh, third and goal from the 38 or whatever. Uh, the two of guys on the defensive line, Ty Clemens and Quan Williams. Uh, Clemens got a decent amount of run. Again, he's playing a lot of defensive tackle, which uh, strange for me, given that he's listed to only 260 some pounds. Um, couldn't really make a lot of impact, I think, because Rutgers offensive line was so big and they just kind of moved him out of the way easily. Um, similar story with Quan Williams. Again, true freshman playing in his first action. I think a lot of his, a good amount of his snaps came on that final drive. Um, so he was kind of just getting bullied as well. But you know, I think at least on the back end, those two secondary players played really well. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'll be interested to see how they kind of start training up the freshmen that are on the defensive line. All right. So now going to the offensive side of the ball, you had uh, some, you had, of course, a couple of running backs that played. Um, we didn't see Joseph Griffin, mm-hmm. you know, and Jeremiah Franklin also played, uh, you know, kind of talk a little bit about the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, I don't think Franklin got any targets, but they he was a big part of the offense. You know, when he did come in, they used him in a variety of different ways. Um, they, you know, had him, he was aligned as a wide receiver. He was aligned as a slot receiver. He had some inline tight end snaps. Uh, I'm trying to pull up his uh, snaps by position right now. Um, he did, I don't think he got any targets, so it's hard to really tell exactly, um, you know, how open he was, given that we don't have all 22 film yet. Um, but yeah, played all over the field, so that he'll be an interesting player to watch moving forward. Um, let me see some of these other names. Um, I mean, on the offensive line, you know, Drew Kendall, again, he had that big mess up on that play. He, and I mentioned the issues on the interior. Uh, he had the bad snap that uh, ended up giving Rutgers the ball inside the 10. So uh, a rough first day for him. Uh, you can't really sugarcoat it any other way. Um, I don't think any other freshman on the line. Let's see. Um, but yeah, running backs. So, you know, we expect a lot from Xavier Coleman. He only took one snap, which was kind of surprising. I think that he did get targeted, but um, I think Phil missed him on a short flat route, if I remember correctly. But the guy that I am most excited by is Alex Broom, and it's a very, a very surprising reason. So Alex Broom, um, I think he's like 5'8", 180-ish, but I have not seen a BC running back or many running backs in general, honestly, be that good at pass protection, let alone a true freshman running back to cut every, he only got, there were four plays where he was pass blocking, but every time he knew exactly where to be. And he absolutely stonewalled his guy. And granted, it usually wasn't, you know, a defensive tackle, but it was usually a linebacker defensive back. But every single time he absolutely stopped them in his tracks. And again, I'm not, you know, the biggest proponent of pff grades but he did have the second highest pass blocking grade on the team behind Dwayne alec and his grade was a seven a broom's grade was 76.7 the next one behind him was actually alex sinkfield who only had two pass blocking snaps but he got 74.7 so that's good for him uh, it looks like barfield the other freshman running back had a pass block rep and he got positively graded so that's good so you know we talked a lot about or at least I've talked a lot about Pat Garwell getting better on that in that phase of his game. Uh, I think he struggled a decent bit. He 
had some times where it looked like he wasn't sure who to block. And then when he did figure it out, he was uh, overmatched by them. So don't love seeing that. But I tweeted out this out earlier that I'm not sure they're going to be able to keep uh, Barfield as a red shirt this year because, or sorry, Broom as a red shirt this year because they're going to need him on third downs because he's a great blocker. And I think he can be a decent receiver out of the backfield as well. So, you know, I, I think we would obviously like, given the, the depth of the running back room, I'd like to see these younger guys redshirt. But if they want to keep winning games and keep Phil Dracovic healthy and upright, I think you're going to see Alex Broom take a lot more snaps, especially on third down. And what's so funny is Pat Garo is a Steve Adazio recruit and he's built like one. He's yeah. you know, what, six mm-hmm. two. He's a bigger yeah. dude. Yeah, he's like five. And and honestly, like the, if you've got a short, stocky running back, that's usually great in pass protection because you have that natural leverage, um, yeah. a low center of gravity and all that. But it's just something that he just has really struggled with so far. So um, I'm not sure that they're going to keep giving him reps on third down when he's, you know, making these kind of mistakes and, you know, that leads to the quarterback getting hit. But uh, what I was going to say was Barfield and um, Alex Broom are yeah. both like five nine, five ten. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, they're both yeah, it's wild. really small because mm-hmm. that's yeah. and and that's been kind of uh, Halfley's theme in terms of recruiting at, at the running back position. If you kind of look at all the uh, uh, running backs he's landed, they're all not the typical BC brute running backs. You know, he mm-hmm. doesn't have money of the the physical downhill run, rushers that you remember with like Andre Williams, and you do need those, but. It, I haven't seen much of them, but it's really interesting to see the smaller guys step up and be able to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Mitch, this is going to wrap up our conversation. Um, <laughs> do I dare ask you what your your pick is for Virginia Tech on Saturday? I mean, uh, aside from Maine, there aren't many other teams on BC's schedule this year that I'd like to have them play after this first game. Um, as Virginia Tech lost on the road to Old Dominion, uh, who is a relatively recent up jump to the FBS. Um, I think BC gets it together and wins this game. I'm not going to give a score, but I, I, you know, and again, I said this about Rutgers, but, you know, Virginia Tech is really kind of in the depths of it right now. They, I don't think they really know what to do in offense. Their defense isn't that great either. So I, you know, I'm hoping that they can get back in the winning column this week. I think it's, I think it's, I mean, I, th- I think uh, Virginia Tech's favored by three, which is essentially negligible if it was a neutral site, it'd be a uh, pick them. So I think BC wins. I'm not going to give a score prediction because I don't want to get a uh, caught out again or anything like that. So, <laughs> but I, I think they'll win this one. I, 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 you say that as I'm looking at my DMs and I have a Rutgers fan uh, sending gifs of L's over and over again. That's fair. Me. That's fair. <laughs> I, I could take it. I think it's funny. So yeah. I, he thinks I'm getting mad at it. I think it's hilarious. So, um, yeah. But now, now you say that, Mitch. You know that the Virginia Tech blogs are gonna and message boards are gonna say, you know, cocky BC fan thinks BC is gonna beat Virginia Tech and we're gonna get slammed all over again. So yeah. Well, that's why I'm here. <laughs> so, Mitch, tell tell the folks about the 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 post that you're working on for Eagle Insider. So right now, and now it's mostly been in tweet form at this point, but now I'm working on a series of, of article, or it's going to be a series that kind of runs through the season where it's essentially called something to be effective. I rewatched the BC game against insert opponent here. So you don't have to, uh, we're all kind of try my best to give a breakdown, maybe drive by drive, um, kind of pick out like a key play on the drive. Say like, okay, this was good. Or this was really bad. This was a turning point in the game. Um, and like, like, so like one thing, so, you know, Donovan has a rock who had two forced fumbles in this game and BC couldn't recover either. And if they had recovered either of them, they would have gotten the ball. I think around the 25 yard line and, you know, fumble luck is very random. So, and it just wasn't, it wasn't in BC's favor on that Saturday. So, you know, they 
especially the second one where both Josh DeBerry and Cam Horsley tried to catch the ball and they slammed into each other. And then that allowed a Rutgers guy to recover it. So uh, like I said, I'm working on that piece uh, for the website. That'll kind of break down, you know, this game in whole. And, you know, so then you guys as the fans don't have to go back and relive the terror that was this past Saturday, especially the final drive. Um, but other than that, you can follow me at Mitchell T Wolf W O L F E on Twitter. Um, and like I've said before, I'm one of the editors on the fantasy betting side for the 33rd team, which is a, a great website for football analysis. It all, we also obviously do a lot of fantasy betting DFS content. So if you guys are doing any of those games or, uh, kind of things you know head over there they've got we've got this new tool tool called the edge which gives you a lot of really great statistics information that can help you be better uh in all those aspects of sports gaming so if you guys want to make some money try to uh head over there and get yourself some learning all right thanks mitch and this is aj black you can follow me on twitter at aj black underscore bc I'm going to kick off Virginia Tech coverage tomorrow. We're going to have all sorts of insight talking about the game, getting all the um, what you need to know to get yourself ready for Saturday night's game in Blacksburg. Uh, thank you for following along. Again, go to Eagle Insider right now. Become a, a VIP member. Um, I think you'll enjoy that. And make sure you subscribe. We're still close. We're getting close to that 600 number. Want to get closer by tomorrow. So make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you again soon.